Hello, Merry Christmas. You are listening to the Hackable You podcast with me, your host, Ed. And as always, my two cheery, cheery Christmas elves for this podcast, Alex and Will. Merry Christmas, guys. You feeling in the mood? How's it going? I'm feeling something. <laughs> it's like the worst question to ask on the week that we've just had, right? <laughs> yeah, on, on on the week of Log4j, uh, I am feeling something. I'll put it the same way as Will. I'm feeling something. It's been interesting. <laughs> oh, you guys. Come on. You've got I'm cheery. cheery. I'm, Christmas, I'm cheery as they come. I'm getting through this with copious amounts of alcohol. I'm very cheery. I'm in the spirit. You're saying it. Saying earlier, you had mulled wine. I, I don't think I quite like mulled wine. Do you, oh, do you I love it? mulled wine. Who doesn't yeah, like I know who doesn't wine. like mulled wine. You're an absolute freak. No, mulled wine is brilliant. Mate, Will, last podcast episode, you said you didn't like Christmas, so you can't talk. Yeah. Well, I didn't say I didn't like Christmas. I said we didn't have a tree, which we, as you've seen, we, we do now have a tree. Yeah, you have two. <laughs> we have two trees now. They're like multiplying like bacteria here. <laughs> oh, nice. How topical, Omicron. Yeah. Well, as you can guess, in the light of the Omicron variant, Christmas time, New Year looming, it has been a pretty busy week for security professionals. Okay, so I say we save Log for Shell for like the last news item to kind of bleed on into topic of the week because I think it's a fairly beefy topic. It's a pretty big zero day and quite unique. How does yeah, that that's sound? fair because it's probably the f- sort of last thing I'm going to do in my cyber career before I quit. I'm going to become a dancer or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should do a uh, conversion yeah, to ballet. I think yeah. I want to after this week. So, yeah, so, other news. Let's go. Other news. Cool. Right. So, we'll rattle through this to get onto the fun topic of a log for Shell Log4j in a second. So, first up looks at customers of Chase, Wells Fargo, and Bank of America, along with nearly. 400 other financial institutions are being targeted by a malicious app disguised to look like the official account management platform for the French telecom company Orange. Researchers are saying this is just the beginning of problems like this. And if you download the app, the malware, it's a variant of a banking trojan known as Anubis. Anubis? I can't. I, like this podcast, this year, my pronunciation of just things has been awful so um we'll just we'll just flow with this anyway this banking trojan steals the user's personal data to rip them off researchers at lookout warned in a new report it's not just customers of big banks that are at risk virtual payment platforms and crypto wallets are also being targeted when you download the malicious app and install it onto your phone a scam message pops up asking the user to disable the google play protect giving the attacker full control of the end user device and thus allowing them to steal banking credentials. So, you know, we've heard of malicious apps before. We know that especially within the uh, Play Store and APKs, there's plenty of malicious ones out there. But it's interesting to see how widespread this one is and how banking Trojans are kind of making, you know, a bit of a a comeback in the limelight over the last few weeks. I was going to say, it's got to be Android, right? Or it's got to be Google. Um, because it, it, yeah, it always yeah, bloody is. Yeah, um, you, know, you can be as anti-Apple as you want, but their app store is a lot more secure than the Google stuff. Um, you seem They seem to be letting any old shit on the Google store. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that this is happening. Um, I'm loving the return of the banking Trojans, though. You know, we've gone through this year where ransomware has been really, really big. Nice to see another sort of vector come and take over and get quite popular alongside it. 
I do find it quite interesting because with banking trojans, unlike ransomware, where you kind of go out, you target organizations, hold an organization to ransom, banking trojan is very personal to you. You know, and it brings back that, that ability to translate security at that human level to your friends, to your family, because these things impact you personally. They want your information to infiltrate your bank and, and to steal money from you. It, it, it literally is as simple as that. There's no other route around it. This is as kind of uh, raw bone cyber banking trojans as it gets. And it's, uh, you know, not to kind of uh, fantasize it, but seeing this have the line that it does is something different and something I quite enjoy researching. And next up, amongst the log for shell vulnerability we'll come on to next, there has been another zero-day exploit spotted within the Microsoft realm. So you think you had it easy? You haven't. As always, Microsoft's Patch Tuesday updates addresses six publicly known bugs and seven critical security vulnerabilities. Microsoft has addressed a zero-day vulnerability that was exploited in the wild to deliver Emotet and TrickBot, and this is in the form of fake applications. The zero day, which is being tracked as CVE 2021-43890, is an important rated spoofing vulnerability in the Windows AppX installer. Well, basically, this is a utility that's used for something called sideloading Windows 10 applications, and it's available on the App Store. Kevin Breen, the director of cyber threat research at Immersive Labs, explained that the bug quote, allows an attacker to create a malicious package file and modify it to look like the legitimate application. It's been used to deliver Emotet malware, which made a comeback this year. So you thought you were dealing with log for shell but there is this zero day that's being exploited in the wild. And sideloading is things that's, that's actually um, quite serious, especially if you're able to spoof what appears to be legitimate apps. What do you guys make of this one to add to the uh, the shit pile of stuff we've been dealing with this week? Well, it is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, I think the, when's Patch Tuesday? Yesterday? Today? Yesterday? Very recently. So, yeah, like in the crux of log for shell we're like, okay, maybe we've got a moment to breathe. Oh, wait, no, here's six zero days. You're like, come on, give us a break. I love it. It keeps us on our toes. Yeah. Um, keeps us loving what well, we do. Well, last year it was solar winds. Albeit, I guess that was kind of January, but still. Come out, it, has, it all has come thick and fast this December, isn't it? I don't remember it being like this last year. Yeah, also more of a lockdown last year, so nothing really happened last year. When you look at something like the Microsoft stuff, you're so well-versed with dealing with Patch Tuesday, or you'd like to think so, right? Good organisations know that Patch Tuesday's been a thing since God was a boy. You get into that monotonous habit of patches come, you then trial it, you then roll it out to the uh, the environment. And people are kind of used to doing that. So when something like this comes in amongst Log4Shell, you'd like to think that the understanding and need to continue this patching is actually quite simple. And it's just a case of, right, let's do the threat hunt. Let's make sure we've got detections in place to detect this nasty stuff. Do you guys think that's accurate? Or do you actually think that when something like Log4Shell comes across, all of this stuff goes out the window uh, and it's a little bit, you know, panic stations? Most places, it will be a case of everything else goes out the window. For, for log for shell, at least. If you said there was another another zero day on top of that, then I think it would have been a balanced approach. But I think log for shell is such a uh, shock to the system for for everyone that I think it, in particular, it's been all, everything else has just been thrown out the window for for many organisations. Because we got to appreciate as well as not, I guess not all organisations have yeah, any kind of absolutely. large scale vulnerability management capability. Um, so they have to be really picky about what they, you know, about about what they're working on at any one time. It, you have to have that kind of flexibility in vulnerability management, 
Not infallibility. Oh, fucking hell. I haven't even been drinking. Vulnerability <laughs> management. Because, it is um, Christmas. We wouldn't blame you. Yeah. I started with a mulled wine a bit early. But um, you had to have that flexibility because, you know, because you're, as, as, we've, as we've all found out this week, you can just be, you know, busy worrying about Pat's Tuesday and then all of a sudden your Christmas is ruined. It's gonna it's gonna depend on the uh the the sort of size and maturity of your operation or of your vulnerability management team because like you said, not everyone's got the same size team. Uh, for some companies, it'll be just one guy, and when stuff like this happens, it's gonna be a case of uh, knocking on the window of your IR guy and saying you're not doing IR this week, you're doing vulnerability management, <laughs> unless it all goes completely wrong and then you're doing IR as well. And that's why patch management is so important, right? Because there's an easy win here. Get into a good structure of rolling out Windows patches. If your environment is majority Windows 10, Windows 7, whatever it is, Patch Tuesday is known about. Get into a good habit. Make it a formal process that Patch Tuesday is rolled out no matter what. So when something like Log for Shell comes along or any other security incident, something that's going to make you fall out of your, your normal kind of day-to-day understood operations, you can trust the fact that something like patching a Windows devices is still going to go ahead no matter what. So I think like the takeaway from this particular news article is, you know, amongst everything that's been going on this week and will continue to go on, get simple patching down, get it as an understood process and well embedded within your organisation. I think you can kind of almost design, if you come from the IR world, you, you can almost design your own kind of run books for these because there's some really critical, important kind of steps, aren't there, for things like, you know, who do you need to talk to? In the same way, when an IR incident kicks off, who do you need to talk to? Exactly the same for, for vulnerability management. You know, when a zero day comes through, who do you need to talk to? What teams need to be informed? Stuff like that is, you know, is time that's wasted. A lot of time trying to work out, oh, which team does this affect? You know, how do I find them? Who do I contact? All that stuff you can plan ahead of time and just have that, you know, that communication run book on the shelf that you can just pull off and say, oh, it's, you know, happy log for Friday. Time to get that run book out. Yeah, totally. Really good point. Really good point. So then moving on, alert sirens, please. <laughs> it is time to talk about our favourite topic this week, which is indeed the log for shell vulnerability. So this week has seen a cyber meteor hit the industry with the publication of a zero day remote code execution vulnerability known as log for shell being tracked as CVE 2021-44228. The vulnerability exists in a commonly used Java logging package called Log4J. In human-readable form, the vulnerability exposes how computers and systems log common events. In this case, an attacker is able to send specifically crafted requests into a system configured to use Log4J. The system will then execute the commands encapsulated within that request and make it do things that it shouldn't. Someone on Twitter basically said that Log4J is like a captain's log on a ship, but for software. It allows a program to record what happens when it runs. Someone figured out that telling it to log a specific set of characters makes the program act out and do whatever the entry tells it, like install malware, install crypto miners, and potentially other nasty stuff. It's big, man. (laughs) It's fucking big. (laughs) It broke on a Friday as well, which is always fun. So that means there's been lots of people who have not had a weekend in a while. Uh, I'm not I'm not one of them. But lots of people have worked 
over the weekend. Lots of people have worked late nights, early mornings, across regions, outside of the normal role. Um, very big. And, you know, who would have thought there was a vulnerability uh, that is caused by log messages being executed? Because actually, why would you want the functionality to execute a log message? It doesn't really make any sense, right? It's only a log. You don't need to have, don't need to have it interacting with anything. Um, but there we are. Here we are today. Essentially, right, the, the problem at hand is that the, the, the log4j basically has uh, improper input validation. That's what it really boils down to, which allows a, a system to kind of execute arbitrary code that's placed within the log request. But the, the, the reason why this has blown up so much is pretty much everyone is impacted in some way. There are many, many like archives of screen grabs where security researchers have taken this you know specifically crafted request and placed it across known apps across the globe like signing into iCloud signing into LinkedIn shopping on Alibaba loads of other systems what you would normally do imagine where you can find an input field on a website you put this request in here and bosh you've triggered a vulnerability and that's why this has hit the globe so much because firstly log4j which is kind of run and, and managed by Apache has been used in many 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 Java applications across the globe but also, like you said, Alex, who'd have thought something as simple as this, like logging, would have such a big impact? I just want to briefly touch on like why, why this is a problem and what this specifically crafted request actually is. So um, Log4j has a feature known as JNDI, or the Java Naming and Directory Interface. This basically allows um, the system to obtain services from things like LDAP, or user lookup and all sorts of other things. However, you're able to input anything into this particular JNDI string, which will then allow connections out to network locations internally and externally with ease. So again, in like human readable form, what this means is that you configure JNDI to do an LDAP lookup out to an external server that's listening on the correct LDAP ports. And that server will respond, but rather than responding with known to be normal responses that the system might expect, a malicious actor is able to change that response to be commands to run, install malware, install crypto miners, maybe even a backdoor or a command and control connection. And because the system reads that into the log message, it's executed on the server, bosh, you've been popped. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. So what interested me about this is the way it was first discovered. I did see something in relation to Minecraft. Ed? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, who'd have thought, right? So yeah, people at Minecraft discovered that one of their services had been exploited uh, using this particular mechanism. And then, you know, thus it started spanning out across the globe that everyone was basically vulnerable to this. So yeah, it's been noted that the earliest uh, signs of this exploit only go back to the 1st of December this year, which is, which is kind of, I don't know, I'm sceptical. I, I do have this firm belief that there's a Chinese, Russian, other, a, other APT APTs from other nationalities are available. But totally, right? But they've had this exploit kind of sitting on the shelf ready to go, as we've mentioned in, in a previous podcast before. You know, this has been around since what, 2014? This particular vulnerability within um, the code. And we're only seeing about it now. And the only exploits have really been seen in the world since the 1st of December. Hmm, I don't know about that. Yeah, 
keep keep no keep skeptical because i think I, i'm pretty sure i've seen a black hat talk about this sort of jndi lookup functionality from as early back as at least 2016 were, yeah yeah 2016 yeah it was i saw yeah, that it was 2016 a black hat uh talk that discussed jndi yeah for sure so it's a clusterfuck to put it plainly right excuse my language but it is everyone's impacted it's such a simple mechanism um and allows attackers to get away with lots of things which has caused IR teams across the country, across the globe, to respond to this. So let's talk a little bit about that. How actually have you dealt with this this week? So it obviously depends on, you know, I mean, first of all, the identification stage of this is, you know, you have to go and identify not only what you have in your environment that might be impacted, but who are the third parties that you're using that might be impacted. So you've got that double whammy sort of attack there. Um, you then need to start looking at, how can this be patched so is it appropriate to upgrade to late to latest version so can this be done or is the application going to break if you upgrade not to mention the fact that this is ever changing right so the mitigation steps that are being released are just as quickly being broken um, the latest update is 2.16 but i'll give you a really good example of you know uh, taking all your effort to get to 2.15 and then within a few hours being told, within a few hours of the happening being told, oh no, 2.15 is now vulnerable to DDoS and doesn't work properly. So you have to go to 2.16. So it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's ever changing. So you're struggling right from the start at identification, but then even when you are going down to containment and patching, you're still finding problems because of how fast evolving it is. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think there's a multiple pronged approach, as you said, it's about understanding where you maybe developing in Java, if you're software engineers, systems engineers, and have actually coded this into applications. There's then the question of, are you running? Have you bought, have you paid for application services running on your network, on your infrastructure that has this vulnerability present to it? And then you have the, all of the third-party applications and services that you might use through SaaS, PaaS, whatever it might be. Are they then vulnerable to it? And do they hold your data? So it's, you know, that's why IR teams, that's why security teams and researchers have been firefighting this week, because it's not just as simple as a Windows 10 patch that you can install on Windows 10 machines and away you go. Because of the widespread uh, impact here, you have a lot of things to check uh, and multiple, multiple conversations to have. I, I, I guess this is, this is why it's been so impactful, isn't it? Because you were talking about something that's incredibly easy to exploit. And, it, you know, and we know that from fact of like you say with minecraft we had basically you know teenagers and children exploiting this just to cheat at minecraft and just to dick around in minecraft before we had it like actually being used from you know that point of view but then it's a bit of a perfect storm isn't it because on top of that you know this uh this this java is used in in so many different areas you know across across basically everything and like we spoke about earlier you know a lot of people don't even know where it's where it's even been used because it's not like a it's not like a collection of assets that sit on your network. You can say, oh, I've got, you know, I've got 100 Windows 2019 servers. So that's all we've got to worry about. You know, it, we're talking about, you know, essentially pieces of code that are embedded into applications that are already built. And the only way to find them is to, by going through those applications and, and pulling them apart and finding which ones are affected. And that's a, you know, that's, 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 that's not a quick process. But unfortunately, no. the, exploit, the exploit is a quick process. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's where I think the industry has responded really well to this because it's it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. It's You have to dig through a certain amount of layers to understand whether you're impacted, right? For whatever reason. So 
in order to, to, to go out and find this, right, it was, you had to be really proactive and go and try and do it, right? Break it, try a system with, this in, with an input field, with this particular string, and see if you're able to notice it. And that's where people like Huntress or even Canary uh, had great mechanisms for you to do that. So I, we basically ended up going onto Canary tokens. If you haven't heard of them, find out. I think we spoke about them on the episode we talked about Deception, right? Canary tokens had a specific webhook for um, the JNDI lookup. So you'd go onto the Canary tokens website, you'd generate the new specific log for shell um, payload. It would give you the, the the specially crafted string, and then you would input the input fields. And the way that Canary tokens worked, right? When someone triggers the token, you get an email alert. And that's what we were doing. Fantastic, simple things like that. Huntress also had something very very similar, where they would provide you with a specific string and that you had a unique identifier on it. You'd run that into your system, and their systems on their end would um, trigger and have a cache, and you could then see where that request came from, what IP address it came from, what service it came from, yada, yada, yada. And even more so, they published the source code of that, so it wasn't just seen as this massive kind of security company data grabbing exercise. And that's where I really think that, the again, the security community has banded together to be able to come up with solutions that allow you to identify it like that. Did you guys use anything like that? So I used, um, very early on, I utilized a, a site which was, um, they collected loads of uh, IP IOCs of, um, of some of the domains or, or some of the IP addresses that were being talked, um, like, you know, communicated back to. So I used that and, and that was up really, that was up really, really fast um, and fully available. So I was on, that was a really good start. Um, those things, thinks I think it is, thinks to Canary. Yeah, think ST, yeah. thinks. Yeah. Think ST, thinks. Um, yeah, they, they came out a bit later, but they were really good. They're really good as well. So um, it's basically using, you know, whatever you can really. Um, like I said to you earlier, Ed, you know, GitHub's been a real source of, uh, you know, really useful information as well. Lots of developers Especially talking the, there. Especially um, the National Cybersecurity Center in the Netherlands um, and uh, CERT Luxembourg. Like, big call out to them for producing the content that they did because uh, the GitHub repos and the, the uh, LuxCert's website have been brilliant. They even had simple things like, you know, right, right on Friday, it was about jumping on, looking at system log files where you could get to a system you thought was impacted. Rather than fanning around with canary tokens or, or lookups that people have created, they just, they just shared out a simple grep command or an egrep command that just looked across all of your log files in a particular Linux file system, var slash log, to pull the particular JNDI string. Like that's 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 the level of response and detection we have to go to with this with this problem, right? It wasn't that you're using the next best machine learning AI driven seam detection. Sometimes for this particular thing it was actually getting onto a raw system and just looking at the log files in the simplest form. And and their ability to provide strings that they're ready to do that made people's lives so much easier. I was certainly thankful for it, being able to just copy and paste in a grep command with a fancy regex I understood, and bosh, I got hits and was like, great, okay, now I need to, now I, I know where I need to start. out the creativity in, 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 in us, in us, in, 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 in so everyone, true. because that, yeah. you're looking at a situation where you can't necessarily rely on your CMDB or your asset list, asset database. I know there was a very popular vulnerability management tool that didn't actually have a Windows detection off the bat. So people who were overly reliant on their detection tools just weren't effectively able to scope this problem. So 
it really brought out the creativity things like you mentioned Ed, just going looking at it from different angles putting a different spin on it thinking outside the box really trying to you know understand what the exploit is doing and thinking okay if someone did that what would it cause and if it caused that where would i go and look to try and identify what's vulnerable to that really really interesting as much as it's been a fucking pain in the ass it's been it's been really it's been really interesting I think did what I found really interesting as well from um, was the there's a try happening room came out uh, a couple, yes, couple of days ago. Yeah, I'm glad you called. I'm, I'm glad you called that out. Actually. I was just really impressed around how quickly that came out because try happening rooms can be a bit, a bit slow to to get on, you know, to, to get published sometimes. And they, they've so they've clearly expediated that deployment you know, that deployment of that room, and that's allowed people to really kind of just have a bit of a sandbox environment to launch the attack and kind of understand a little bit about how, how it works I mean it's quite straightforward but um, stuff like that I think is is really good to see I've not seen an exploit you know in in recent years um, that has that that's have kind of has instigated that kind of level of uh, community quite so quickly and that's what that was free as well yeah it, it, it was free you know if if that was any other vendor or any other maybe any any other industry it would have been it would have been yeah, it would have been it would have been subscription. It would have been it would have been you know go buy premium to get this an absolute money making exercise. And that's why I actually love this community at times. It is a really good example of all banding together and, and better um, than just writing a blog post. Like so many times, a major vulnerability comes out, like WannaCry back in twenty seventeen, and it was just a plethora of blog posts. And you're sitting there spending time reading this stuff. It's like the tool detection, like the canary, like the try hack me rooms where people are delivering tangible, actionable content you can ingest and understand in different ways for the, the ways that people learn have made such a big impact in this particular event. And like you said, Alex, like hats off to the community. It really goes to show that, um, you know, when we band together against these baddies, uh, we're able to succeed. And I think that's uh, such an important part of intelligence sharing and having that kind of security community. So cybersecurity research by the, by the name of John Hammond. We really want to call that out. That was his uh, baby, that room. Yeah, and and his video uh, that looks at the Minecraft server. It's about half an hour long. I shared it yeah, with I've watched our it. developers, I've watched right? It. In, in our, and, and lots of people read that and watched it. It's a really great un, uh, way to understand what's actually going on. And he breaks it down. John Hammond's great. Like, call out John Hammond. You're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I really hope you're listening to this. If not, one day we'll get you on. That's the dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... What's the advice here? Like it happened on Friday, we've been dealing with it over the last couple of days. Like you said, Alex is Alex is. There's more than one. Like you said, Alex, there has been oh, a patch. You can't handle more than and one. The patch has been bypassed. This is true. Um, but so, what's your advice? What would you tell security teams to go and do now if they're just listening to this? Run a mile from this end. No, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> bad advice. Bad advice. No. Uh, so B. It, it sounds really silly right and i think will you touched on it earlier on but be prepared know what you're going to do know who you're going to contact as much as this has been a little bit different from your usual vulnerability i would i would ask the question has it you know if something happens out of hours understand how your out of hours response works do you have a team that you can call out of hours do you have a major innocent manager you can get on the phone to get you the resolver groups involved do you have your asset list up to date? Do you have the application delivery leads in the right place? You know, do you do you have all these people you can contact? That's going to make dealing with something like this a whole lot e- a whole lot more easier. Do you have someone that can write user friendly comms? Because techies are great, right? But they can't write comms to save their life. Trying to get a techie to communicate to the CIO, it's not going to work. So having all those things in place, I think your find is going to make things a lot easier. 
patch is what I would have gone with. Just uh, upgrade if you haven't. <laughs> that's th- that, that's that's too simple. That's too simple because the, the first stage of identification, you have to know what you've got before you can patch it. I think um, one to be mindful of as well is not falling into some uh, some detection, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, rabbit holes where you think, you know, there, there are some early kind of detection rules that were set up that were very basic and they were kind of very basic and dirty. They did the job then, but since now, since then, sorry, there's been much more, you know, better... Um, kind of detection rules that look that look for things like, uh, you know, LDAP external um, LDAP queries and stuff like that that you that you really need to move to. Um, so, and so what I would say is go and review those detections because I think in a lot of organisations what you'll probably see is some rules were set up, you know, a few days ago to kind of cover the basics and to get things, you know, get some some basic detection in there, and those may still be in place and you need to kind of make sure that you're 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 evolving those and pushing those into into being better and better detection methodology. You know, as as, as the days go, that as and as we understand the the incident more. The last point I just kind of want to touch on here is, I actually think we got lucky. I haven't actually had a chance to look at some updated facts and figures here, but when I was certainly reading on Monday, majority of things that were found were security researchers who were obviously probing for the vulnerability, lots of internet scanners detecting these things. Okay, standard, fine. Coin miners being, you know, kind of installed um, was the kind of main thing that was being banded around as the impact here. This could have very easily been ransomware or very easily could have been, you know, multiple backdoors, lateral movement, Bosch data breach. And I mean, you know, we haven't heard of that yet. No one's come. I think, yeah, I think it still will be. I think it's still going to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think the fact that it wasn't bang ransomware is being landed straight away. We we did we did get a little bit lucky here. You know, if 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 Revil were really on top of that, many people would have been impacted. Their weekends would have been way 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 worse because of them firefighting, patching, and understanding this vulnerability as well as having to deal with a major incident like that. Well. I think we could talk on this for quite a while and the industry certainly will, but we'll wrap it up for there and jump into our uh, our fun little Christmas segment. We will move on to our secret Santa segment. Oh my God, SSS. Right, so we spoke after the last podcast. We said it's Christmas. We've got to do something Christmassy, feel the vibes. Will was a Grinch. Alex has been... Too busy dealing with Log4J and IR. We needed to lighten the mood. <laughs> Alex has been drunk. <laughs> Alex has been yeah. Alex has not been sober since the first of December. That's his advent. But we came up with a secret Santa idea. So we all virtually drew names out of a hat and pulled one of them. And the rules were: you have to get a present that is um, has to be in- vaguely cyber related. And there was a spending limit of what five, between five and ten quid is is kind of where you had to land. So. We set that challenge, and here we are. We've each sent them to each other's house, so I guess it's a, a not-so-secret secret Santa because we had to ask each other <laughs> for our addresses. But anyway, so let's get Alex going first. So, um, yeah. Well, who, who, who got what? Who got, so who so got, I got Alex, and what, and what I want to caveat this is with is that I understood it as God. it had to be totally infosec-related. And for any businesses, okay. for any businesses out there, there is a big market out there for, for <laughs> infosec related related goods because you can't find anything. And I, I've been very sensible, and Alex is probably going to be very disappointed for that. 
but decent vendors who have good swag should just like publicize it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm, yeah i'm gonna well, i'm opening this this my gift remember right this isn't visual so we have to have that whole kind of like audio that whole kind of my first reaction is migraine <laughs> <laughs> the fucking migraine from the front of the book Right, so I have a book called, I think it's called Sandworm, A New Era of Cyber War on the Hunt for the Kremlin's Most Dangerous Hackers. That sounds pretty sick, to I, be fair. I think that's a bloody good gift. Is it fiction? No, it's a true story. Uh, I Ooh. doubt it's fiction. It looks like a true story, which is good. Let's have a look at the uh, cover. Uh, is, is, is Sandworm, is it, was it Operation Sandworm? Is that what it was called? Yeah. I um, so. I've heard of that before. It's been, yeah. about, it's been a while since I read it, so read the back to explain awesome it. Stuff. Thank you, Will. Um, yeah, look, this is the front. I know the listeners can't see this, but I neither can you because of my background, but the front of it is... Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very cyber. Well, it wasn't blue. Yeah. Everything inside was blue. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Thank you, Will. Right. Um, well, Will, you go next because I have the Will. I don't have and my to... Caveat, my, my caveat is that, look, <laughs> it's actually, like Will said, <laughs> it's really difficult to find decent cyber-related gifts. So, 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 so. I got a gift and tried to add cyber into it. It's not... <laughs> Will I let so, you explain? I'll let... So I don't have to unwrap it, thankfully. Um... Oi, there could have been an illusion there. I made an effort. <laughs> uh, so what I've got is a Stein. 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 Um, a beer, basically. Not, obviously, um, filled with beer. Well, there's a bottle of beer in there, so... Um, and it comes with... Oh, shit. Uh, a little beer mat, and the cyber. If you're into the, the, the cyber related thing, <laughs> is the sticker. The sneak uh, sticker. Is it sneak or I've never. Oh, that. I think we have. We've, we've had, had this conversation on this episode to to uh, discuss how to pronounce we'll, we'll sneak get, or we'll sneak. Get, we'll get them on. We'll get them on. But yeah. So yeah. there you go. To be fair, it's, right, it's, it's not cool, just it's, any sticker. It's a decent sticker though. It's yeah, look at that. Right? It's like shiny. It's like a Pokemon card. Holographic. Uh, that is a good sticker. Thank you. It's like the Mewtwo. Does that, did, did, I, did I pass the test? Do I do I get a pass there for just? Well, I mean, I'm I'm happy because I just got a, a Steiner beer and and a sticker that um, that I don't want to put my work laptop because eventually like, that's got you know rubbish stickers on it. But then my I don't want to put my MacBook because I'm my MacBook is like clean and shiny and nice. So I'm gonna have to either get over it and put it on my MacBook or find a suitable location for it. Put it on a Harley Davidson, and then see if Sneak will sponsor you. <laughs> I could stick up my helmet actually, can I? And toy. Uh no, that's too far. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Right, so that just leaves me. So Alex, I assume it's you because process of elimination. Yes. I'm going to uh, caveat this with this is gonna teach you something, so I think it's a pretty good pretty good secret Santa. Oh look at you, right, okay, let's have a look. It's a small is box. It, is it the Kama Sutra? For the elderly. <laughs> Um, right, it says lock cowboy on it with a little padlock on it, so I'm assuming it's it's something to do with that. Let's have a look. Let's open it. God, anything that says cowboy on it is kind of concerning. Didn't say reverse, don't worry. It says thank you, claim your free ebook. Nope, sod that. Oh, what we got here? Wait, I've got the ebook to send to you, you fucking idiot. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, decent. decent. It's a lock picking kit, those who are and eagerly waiting for me to actually spit out what it was. Mate, that's awesome. Thank you very, very much. Lock picking, not just a lock picking fucking kit. It's a lock picking tutorial kit so you can learn how to do it so you can be good at that's it. In pretty, but it also comes with this thing. Look, it's got like a, a credit card thing. Oh, yeah, it's, it's got tools in it. 
I want to mask it. That's pretty cool. I've got the same one. You know what? Funny enough. Go on, Will. Do you? Yeah. You've got the same one. Yeah, it's decent. I was I was thinking the other day, like uh like one of my colleagues, he was he was talking, he's a bit of a dab hand lock pick, and I thought, you know, it's always that thing, that cyber thing where people forget there's always that physical layer and you've got to break into the data center, whatever. So many really, really good red teamers and the hardcore guys, they know how to lock pick. And I was like, I really, really want to give that a go. So um thank you very much. Well, there we are. Merry Christmas, everyone. We've we've done our Merry, gifting. Merry, Merry Christmas. We do hope that uh, if you are working in a sock, if you're managing a sock, do uh, do get your guys a little something to say thank you for this year, even if it's just uh, half a day off to go and get pissed down the pub. It all counts. Or a hug. Or a hug. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, for the record, the for the record I, I went with the first option. I gave my my guys a day in the pub. But there you go. if you want to go and hug your team, do it. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, look, that wraps up the podcast this time. It's been a busy week. It's been a great year. Um, we want to thank everyone for listening, engaging with us, supporting the podcast. We'll come back for an episode to talk about the new year. So we're not quite done for this year yet. However, we want to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. And uh, that's that's the only other language I know it in because of the song. <laughs> we hope you all have a, a good break. Please do remember to take time off, switch off from the laptop. Don't do cyber if you can avoid it. Appreciate it might be a passion, but try and take a day away from it. And uh, yeah, enjoy eating food, get drunk, be merry, and we will see you all very, very soon. Merry Christmas. See you later. Merry Bye. Christmas. Bye.